Well, good morning. The title of our message this morning is Heart of the Matter, and we're going to open with a word of prayer. Lord, I was so struck by that song, Who Am I? Lord, as I heard those words, and the artist talked about the flower quickly fading, waves tossed into the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Lord, that is us. Lord, I ask that you would really teach us about the brevity of life. Lord, I ask that you would teach us to number our days. Lord, I ask that you would really teach us that you would give us a heart that goes all out, Lord, that we be all in in chasing after you. Lord, I ask that you put a desire in all of our hearts here this morning that we would want more of you. Lord, I don't care how cold it is outside. Lord, I ask that the spirit of the living God would put a fire inside this place, a fire, Lord, with with white hot flames in here. Lord, flames for you. Lord, I ask that we would be a passionate people, Lord. Lord, put, put those desires. Do as only you can do, Father. Lord, we can put ourselves in the way, Lord, but only you can transform. Only you can renovate our hearts. Lord, I'm asking that you would do that and continue to do that, Lord, through this meeting, through Wednesday meetings, through our private prayer times, through our devotions, whatever we're doing, Lord, I ask that you would continue to do that in our midst. Lord, I ask that nobody would leave this place feeling condemned. Lord, I ask that everybody, Lord, that you would challenge people that you're raising the bar, Father. You're raising the bar. The Christianity, Lord, is not about duty. It's about delight. Help us to see, Lord, that you want us to be Christian hedonists. Lord, the chief end of man, Lord, is to enjoy you, Father. It's to enjoy you, Lord. We are to delight in you, Father. I pray, Lord, that happens, that we learn how to feast on you in the difficult times, in the good times. I just want more of you, Lord. Amen. Remember when you were a kid, was there anything better when you were younger than maybe you came downstairs and and mom had some cookies in the oven and you saw that baking sheet or, you know, just the smell, the aroma of those chocolate chip cookies that was wafting across the house and it made its way upstairs and you came downstairs and you smelled those cookies. You remember that? Go back in your mind. For some of you, it's not when you were young. It was maybe yesterday. Right? Remember that moment, though, and you, you, know, you went over there and maybe mom let you have one of those cookies and you just you, you bit into that cookie and you tasted the sugar, the brown sugar, all stuff that I really don't like, but I have to use it for the illustration, and those chocolate chips as they melted on your tongue? I want to know afterwards, in a little experiment, how many of you will actually eat a chocolate chip at some point after this meeting today? Just get... No, no, it's not over yet. I'm saying later on, next week. Tell me how many of you will actually eat chocolate, you know, a chocolate cookie? Bake sale. Yeah, is there really a bake sale? Wow. Wow. Good. Well, I was led by the Spirit. Yes, yes, I was. Now, take that on one hand. And if you were really lucky, right, if you were really lucky... Maybe mom let you have some of the cookie dough, bat, the batter, right? Some, not anymore. But come on. I mean, when you were young, that, right? That batter, you loved it. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. Are you kidding me? 
I know if I had a table, if I had a bowl of it on the table right now, I'd have to stop people. I'd have the ushers holding people back. But what about when, did you ever have the, the cookie when it was like in between a half-baked cookie? Oh, that's good. No, no, no. I don't like half-baked cookies. Either it's done or it's not done. I never like biting into a half-baked cookie. So forget that illustration because some of you like half-baked cookies. How about pizza? Steve said pizza before. Does anybody like biting into the crust when it's gooey? No. Now, I was thinking about that word half and I think most things that begin with the word half are bad. They're not good. Let me give you some examples that I found online that I thought would be interesting. Here's one, half-life. Things like nuclear waste that always last about 10,000 years longer than any of us will be alive. Very true. Half done. When you still have to do as much as you've already completed. Never really thought of that, but true. Next one. Oops, you have two of them. Halftime, especially bad and overblown during the Super Bowl, which is coming up next weekend. I can't watch the Super Bowl, that half an hour show. They bring some retread out, some band. Right? Really, come on. They bring somebody out and like, hey, listen, your day in the sun is over, but if you want to come out for a half an hour of the Super Bowl, we'd love to have you. You know what I mean. Half dead, never the look you want to go for. Half alive, which always begs the question, which half? Half price, what's wrong with it, right? You know, you look at something, why is it 50% off? Half crazy, sane <laughs> enough to be out on the streets. Uh, half grown, a teenager. And then the last one, half gone, a teenager's parent. <laughs> I thought that was really cute. But I would say, I would say the most dismal half we encounter on a regular basis, the one that... I don't think we like in ourselves, we certainly don't like in the church, we certainly don't like in other people, our families, is half-heartedness. Oops. And the word disappeared. It was there at one point, but now it's gone. You're hearing the word, half-heartedness. Is there really any worse word that you could hear? I mean, do you ever get a half-hearted gesture from somebody? Did you feel good when you had... No, I don't think anybody in here felt good when you experienced that. How about a half-hearted compliment? Did that feel good when somebody gave you that little compliment? You're like, nah, that really wasn't wholehearted. How about a half-hearted commitment? Half-hearted love? Holy, depressing, and discouraging when you hear that half-hearted. Now, the Super Bowl is coming up next weekend. And the, the brothers, the two, the, both teams, the brothers are the head coaches. Kind of cool. First time in Super Bowl history that, that is happening. And imagine that those coaches say to their teams, it's Sunday at like 5.58, right, Rob? You're, Rob's a football coach. He can relate to this. You would, you would have put him on the spot if you were me, right? You would have said that? Yeah, exactly. That's why I did it. So imagine it's like, say it's 6 o'clock, like a half an hour before the start of the game, and the coaches get up, and they, they, they're addressing their team, and they say, guys, I am looking for 50% today. <laughs> It is the Super Bowl. You better not give me 100. I want 50%. Or how about a CEO of a company addressing all of the people that work for he or she, and they say, listen, I'm looking today out of you. Monday, I am looking for three-fifths of a day. 
I'm not looking for the whole day. You can go play and do things for two-fifths of the day. I'm only looking for three-fifths of this day. There was a wedding here yesterday. Pastor Joe married a couple. Can you imagine him saying to a couple as they come up here, up the end, and they're at this altar, yes, I, you know, and they, the couple says, yes, I will honor the other person, my spouse, sometimes. Sometimes I will be faithful. That doesn't happen. You wait all of the time. Wholehearted, right? But I think when it comes to church, you can sit in here for years. You can be a Christian for years. And you know, you, we'd love to hear about grace. And we'd love to hear about God's love. Because for some of you, let's, I'm being totally honest today. For some of you in here, you are overworked. I'm raising my hand first. You feel overtired. You feel stressed. And this is a respite from everything that is going on in the outside world. I'm here today, Pastor. Make me feel good about myself. That's what I want to hear. I want to hear about God's love and his grace. But, oh, don't talk to me about commitment in my life because then I'm going to feel really uncomfortable. You see, sometimes we don't want to hear about voluntarily suffering loss, refraining from pleasure that we could have, sacrificing our comfort, reducing our lifestyle, giving up our time, confessing our sin, being accountable to a community, humbling ourselves. No, sometimes we don't want to hear those things. We want to hear about God's love. That's why I'm here. Tell me how much God loves me and how much he's committed to me. Flip it around. This is a message about how committed you are to God. Last time I preached, I preached basically the same kind of message. I can't move away from it. Because I think God is calling us higher as a church. There is more for us than what we are experiencing. And I was, I I can't even tell you, I froze when I read these words in scripture. And it's a person that I really didn't know anything about. And I imagine everybody in here, Jack included, you probably didn't know much. I'm teasing. Jack, Jack knows a lot about the Old Testament. Chris, I'll put you in that category as well. You, Jack's going to have a conversation with me afterwards. Second Chronicles 25, 1 and 2. Look at these verses. Look at this. Amaziah. Does anybody know who Amaziah was? You, you familiar with him? That's what I thought. Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehodan of Jerusalem. He did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with the whole heart. Oh my gosh. These words stuck me like a knife in my heart as a leader in this place. Because I looked inside, I looked internally, and I said, wow, how, how that's you. That's you. Look in the mirror, buddy. That's you. There are areas in your life where you are not wholehearted. And you, as the people out here, you see the image that I put out here for 40 minutes every once in a while. You see the image that your pastors put out here, that Pastor Tom puts out there. But there is the private me. There is the private you that other people don't see. 
This man followed the rules. And you read further on, read this chapter later on, you see he followed Old Testament law fastidiously. Yet he's not wholehearted. He punched the clock every day. We should almost have that here. Did you punch the clock when you came in here this morning? Did you punch the clock? Hey, I'm here. I'm doing my part. Just like when you go to work. Hey, I'm here this morning. Because that's in essence what this guy did. He wasn't a bad guy. He loved God, but there were still places in his heart that he had not totally given over to him. Now contrast that with King David. We all know who King David was. Look what it says in Acts about King David. God God speaking, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, God said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Does it get any better than that? Does it get any better than that, God saying that about you? And what do we know about David? Like all the grievous sins, all the times that he failed, whether it was adultery, whether it was murder, all these cover-ups. But here is a man that whenever he sinned, whenever he fell, he fell forward, and he's back on his knees, and he says, God, I will repent, but I need more of you in my life. Oh, church, where would we be without King David's stories? Where would we be without the Psalms? That we, City on a Hill Community Church, that God would say about us collectively that we were a people after his own heart. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to the end of my life. And we don't know. I said, teach us to number our days. I don't want to live my life half-heartedly. I don't want to just follow the rules. I don't want to just go to meetings. I want more of him. I want to enjoy him more. And it's a fight every morning. This is a, you walked into a battle and there are things that are going on around you. You think the tiredness that you feel is just because you had six hours sleep last night? No, you are in a spiritual war. This is a battle for our hearts. Every morning you wake up, there is an enemy that is out. And he is trying to whisper to you that he can satisfy your heart more than God can. Every single day that is happening. You live in a culture that says, I can satisfy you more than God can. And gosh, don't our hearts get get committed to such goofy things? But I want to be somebody that lives my life in such a way that I'm so wholehearted. There is a book that came out recently. I am, I don't even, I'm badgering. I'm, I'm like, I'm relentless with the guys, the leadership guys, in, in, for a few good men, I'm telling them, you have to read, and a couple of you I know, some of my close friends in here, you've read the book, and the book title is Fearless. And of course, it's a Navy SEAL book, but it's the best Navy SEAL book I've, I've read yet. I can't read one after this, because I'm ruined after this book. It is the st- I, I want to read for you a quote. You want to talk about wholehearted. The guy's name is Adam Brown. If you don't run and read this as a Christian, you are crazy. You are out of your mind. I challenge you. I will pay. If you read this book and don't like it, I will pay for your book. I will come over. I will do your laundry. I will wash your car if you don't like the terrible. I'm not doing your laundry, but I'll, maybe I'll wash your car. 
if you don't like this book, here is the, here is the quote. My sister and I, Jen, was, Jen, Jen, loved, you know, Jen loves the Navy SEAL stuff too. This is the, my favorite quote from the book. It's a picture of Adam Brown. This is SEAL Team 6, by the way. This is, he's not just any Navy SEAL. He is the best of the best. Life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, thoroughly, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride! What a ride! Will you say that at the end of your life? Wow, God, what a ride to slide in and be in his presence, totally used up, that you've given everything to him, that you were wholehearted. This man in the story, and I don't want to ruin everything, but I will, he, he loses his dominant eye, his right eye in a training accident, and for most seals, you're done. That's it, end of the road. You can't pass the test to be an incredible marksman. No, this guy trains with his left eye, and he's as good as any of the other guys. Steel Team 6, incredible. There's another story. His right hand gets crushed. His fingers are almost completely severed from his hand. They have to reattach them. He teaches himself how to shoot with his left hand. Of course. Crazy. Insane. And the best part of the story is, before he became a Navy SEAL, you know what he was? A crack at it. You will not find any other story like Adam Brown's. He had to deal with his demons and he meets God in a grimy Arkansas jail. He is somebody who is so wholehearted after God. It wrecked my life when I read the book. And I said, you know what? I want to have that same passion. I want to be as wholehearted for God as this guy was. He was certainly not perfect. He certainly had his demons. But there was something inside of his spirit and his soul that you could not conquer. That he said, I have to go on. I have to persevere. I have to push. That's the attitude that we need as Christians, church. This is the kind of attitude that we need. But I said to you, our hearts get all wrapped up with with goofy stuff. And it's so easy to get sidetracked. How many of you saw, on a comical front, how many of you saw, I should ask you, what company went out of business last month? They're talking about somebody, a food company. Hostess. Twinkies, yes. Did you hear or read some of the stories relating to Twinkies? Let me put a picture up here in case you weren't hungry enough from the chocolate chip story earlier. Twinkies last forever. There are stories in New York City. I'm not making this up. When the news came out, it was like the end of November, and one guy in this article in the New York Times, a shop owner, talked about how hostess called and said, hey, do you want, you know, we have a lot of Twinkies. You want them? Yeah, bring them all. I want all the Twinkies you, you, know, you can send me. He sends them the Twinkies. The guy says, hey, it's a Tuesday. He said, you know what? Like, we have Black Friday in America. It was Twinkie Tuesday. He said, everybody came out of the woodwork. One lady went to all of the stores in her area in California and filled up her minivan with Twinkies because, God forbid, her children, when they're older, they don't get to experience a Twinkie. And this is, this is the best, though. This is the best. Look at this. This is an actual eBay. This is an eBay auction. Somebody put a box of Hostess Twinkies, $200,000. Do I have a bid? Do I have a bid over here? Do I have a bid over here? Two hundred uh, thousand. Are you kidding me? For Twinkies. 
how silly, sick, how goofy. But I want you to think, friends. Think about your own life. What are you committed to? America is committed to the Twinkie. We know that. Some of you probably are hiding because you went to the store to buy some Twinkies. I will not ask you to raise your hands, but what is it? What are those things that your heart is getting caught up in? And I'll be, I'll be brutally honest again. This is one of those messages I knew coming in that I was dreading because I know it's the only way I know how to speak, and that is to offer things, life experience, or things that are going on in my life. And you may, I don't know, you may think it's, I'm too candid. You may like, I don't know, but this is who I am. And I was sitting there this, this past, past couple of weeks, and um, my cousin is here. My brother is not here. I'm glad my brother is not here, and I'm, I'm glad my wife is not here for this, this uh, to hear this. No, no, I'm, I'm serious. No, you can stay. <laughs> my parents can stay. <laughs> but you're gonna find this. So, you're gonna find this so silly and inane. I looked at my life, and, I, and I've talked to my wife about this, and I said, "Honey." During, you know my love for football. Every, every, I'm a rabid football fan. But I spend probably during the football season about 45 minutes to an hour of my life on fantasy football. A day. Are you judging me? <laughs> for a second I thought you were judging me and I was, whoa, I was like, I'm in church. From home, that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to set up a camera in your house and I'm going to figure out all the things that you do in a day and then I'm going to come in next Sunday. <laughs> Pastor Linda read the newspaper for 50 minutes today. She watched it. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but I, it's so, so silly. But I, I, honestly, I have felt so convicted over the past month. And you know what? For somebody, it, 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 I'm a full-time teacher. I'm a pastor here. My time is very valuable, as is all, all, for all of you in here. And I'm just saying, I looked in the mirror and said, is this really something that I need to be spending my time on? I love football, but in all seriousness, there'll be times I'm, I'm in the car with Megan and the phone like goes off and it's like, I, I like twitch because I have to see if it's a fantasy football trade. <laughs> no, I'm, being, I'm, being, I'm, being de- I'm being really serious. I know it's funny, but it's sad. It's sad. Because there are places in my heart with things that are so frivolous like that and I said to myself, and I won't get into all the details, but I calculated all the time, that that's just how my mind works, that all the time that I've really spent and what I really could be doing with that time, it hurt me deeply. Because even though I get up at 4, 4.30 in the morning to be with God, and even though I do in serving and doing different things, that's still time that is valuable. And it doesn't mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't have any fun, because when I told one of my other friends about this, one of them said, it's kind of sad, which I love, that they were honest about it. And another one said, well, what are you going to fill that with? That's what I worry about. And that's my problem. I don't know about you, and I'm, I'm, I'll probably keep it there, but what are those things? Let me get back to what are those things in your life that are like that, that are so silly, that are taking away, that it's, it's insidious. That's how the enemy really works. There are things that aren't really big out there. Oh, this is harmless. It's innocuous. It doesn't really matter that I do this. It doesn't really matter that I sit there and watch TV, you know, an hour a night. Friends, he's looking for full devotion, 100% commitment. And I know for all of us in here, I don't think there's anyone that you want more. 
and you're saying, you know what, I'm, don't feel condemned. If, that, if you're not there right now, do not feel condemned, but know there is more. And we're asking for a hunger that God would put that hunger in our hearts for more of him. It's not something that's meant to make you feel guilty, but all I know is that I want to be part of a church that hungers to be challenged to full devotion, just like somebody hungers for that last Twinkie. That's what I want. That's what we want for you in this place. Full devotion and nothing less. And I see the story of that guy, Azariah, and I read that story and he finessed commitment because there were people around him, I guess, that probably thought he really was committed to God, but God truly knew his heart. And friends, I don't want to be that way. And Jesus didn't die on a cross for us to live a life like Azariah. He died on a cross so that we would die to ourselves, that we would go to the cross, that we would sacrifice. There's nothing about this walk that's easy, but he promises to give us more than we could ever think, ask, or desire, or imagine. That's what he's telling us he'll give us. That's the great promise of the gospel. And then another, you know, contrasting even the the funny Twinkie story, I was reading a book by a guy named Ken Dunningham, and he's a philosopher and a theologian. And he had a gripping story about a guy, one of his friends who was a paramedic, and you see, this paramedic was, got a call to a house of an addict. Gets to the house. The guy walks in, and there is this addict in the corner of this room. And he's shivering, and he's on the brink of death. And he doesn't know what's... He's incoherent. And they are strewn all over the apartment. There are needles, all types of drug paraphernalia. And the man said, for the first time in my life, I understood what worship was. For the first time, I said it was terrifying. For the first time in my life, I think I understood what worship looks like. When a person is so desperate, they will give anything, including their life. That's what I want. I want to be sold out for him, and I know you do too. Friends, we can do it together. Collectively, as you heard this morning, you can't do it alone, but you can do it with other people in this place. You can run this race together. You can fight the good fight of faith together. You can't do it alone. It's impossible to do alone, but when we stay together. So let's diagnose your commitment. Here are some questions. How about this? What most irritates you in your life when it's threatened, when it's absent? Is it Uh, some substance? Is it success? Is it comfort? Is it sexual gratification? Is it money? Is it popularity? Is it control? What is it when it's taken or threatened to be taken from your life that something goes on inside your heart and you say, oh, I just can't give that up. I need that. I want that. Or how about this? What do you dream about? Look inside your heart. What do you dream about every day? Are there things that you are focused on? What about when, you're, when there is nothing going on in your world and you're, you're, maybe you're not at work or you're home and you have time to do whatever? What are those things that you dream about, that you think about all the time? What are they? Because those things will give you a picture of where your heart really is. And for the remaining time, I just want to very briefly, 
I talked about Azariah in the beginning, being a man that didn't follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And I said to you, David was a man that followed, he was a man after God's own heart. And I just want to look very briefly at a couple of things about David's life that I think will help sharpen the picture about what, what is even full devotion? What does it look like? And I want to even talk more about this in the future. I've been talking with Pastor Linda. I'm a huge John Piper fan. And I'm unabashedly in the line of Jonathan Edwards from you know, The Great Awakening and, and John Piper and a guy named Sam Storms. You heard a little bit about him on Wednesday night. These are all people that are Christian hedonists. The chief end of man, they say, is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And we don't, you know what C.S. Lewis says? We, it's not that we're just so easily, too easily pleased that God is offering us steak and we settle for spam. We're making mud pies on the beach and a holiday at sea is offered to us. We have to talk about getting, fighting for this joy, fighting for, for the treasure that Christ really is and can be in our lives. But I know for many of us in here, you say, oh, I'm not there right now. And I love it. Piper has a book, When I Don't Desire God. Isn't that a great title for a book? Because isn't that real? Isn't that real for many of us in here? Aren't there times you may be sitting here right now? What do you do when you don't desire God? I don't, I'm not, my heart is not where you're at today, James. Well, that's fine. What do you do when you don't desire God? And we have to look at that kind of question. What will impel us? What will carry us in the face of persecution, in the, in the face of all different trials and problems, in the face of darkness, what will help us get through that? It doesn't matter what we experience, and that is what I believe the message that those people through the generations and Piper living now, I think that's the message they really bring, and that's the message that is at the core of my being, of my heart. As long as I have breath, that is the message that I feel like is the gospel. We all wake, you woke up, everybody, and I'm, I'm digressing, but everybody woke up this morning. You woke up with, with a sense of insatiable desire to be happy. Is there anybody on this earth that is not striving, longing to be happy? Everybody is, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's where we find our happiness. We must find our happiness in him. And that's what we'll get to. Eventually, getting ahead of myself. But really quickly, some of the things that David, you know, we see sharpening the picture of what devotion really looks like. The first thing, David was constantly initiating servanthood. He's a servant. You look at his life in the beginning, you know, you see this, we all know the story of David and Goliath. And what happens, there's an opportunity there that he goes and he says, you know what? The Lord has been with me with the lion and the bear. The Lord will be with me here. And he sees the Philistine, this Goliath, the great Philistine, and he's taunting the people of Israel. And David says, I will go in that. I'll go in the arena. I'll go in the valley. I'll take him on. He's always looking to serve. How about another time with Mephibosheth? I don't know how many of you are familiar with that story. His good friend, his best friend, his name was Jonathan. And when David became king, he, he had a covenant with Jonathan. And when Jonathan died, he said, is there anybody left? He's king. Is there anybody left in the house of Jonathan that I can bless? And there was this man named Mephibosheth who is crippled. He is lame. And David takes him in as if he was one of his own. David is always looking to serve. I was blown away when I heard my sister get up here this morning because I couldn't get out of my head. When, it, when I hear the word servanthood, those people, Demetrius and Bob, do you know how long, I know Keith's involved and other people have been involved in that, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but I have to say, people like Dee, Bob, and my sister, wow, 
Are you kidding me? What these people do and the time they give up, the sacrifices they make, servanthood, servanthood for our kids in here so that they would be raised up and they would know who Christ is. I had it when I was younger. I tortured Steve and Janine, tortured them. Right? Nobody tortured you more than I did. I did. But it's where a foundation is built. And I see people that'll st- they'll do anything. And it's sometimes it, it, at a cost to their own physical and spiritual well-being, they will go out of their way and do anything, and they don't know what the word no means. When the pastors call, when Pastor Joe calls and says, hey, I have an issue, problem, boom, Demetrius, Bob, my sit, people like that are right there. That's what we're looking for. The, the, the uh, helps in, in feeding people, the, the, the disadvantaged, Naeem, Keith. There's so many people in this place that you have a servant heart. And if that's not you, say, you know what, Lord, put that desire in my heart. I want to serve. There are so many places, there's so many opportunities here that you can. So that's one. Number two, David is passionately committed to worship. Oh my gosh, what a worshiper he was. I said to you earlier, can you imagine if we didn't have the Psalms, this great gift to humanity? My favorite all-time story, I don't have a story in every one because it would take too long. The story is in 2 Samuel 6. You see, David and the children of Israel are dancing before the, they're dancing before the Lord. And there's all types of instruments, lyres, harps, cymbals, tambourines, a lot of the stuff you see up here that I don't know anything about. And there's all these instruments, and they're worshiping God. And here is David's wife, Saul's daughter, King Saul's daughter, Michael. And look what she said. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And then it goes on. Look what David's response is. I love this. Later on, you know, when you're with your wife, privately, look at, look at what he says here in, in moving down 20 to 22. And David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father. Da-da-da, like you need like music right there. And all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord and I will be even more undignified than this and I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine what that scene was like? Now, I can dance. Some of you don't know that, right? Jamal, where's Jamal? Jamal, where is he? He's not here. He was, I thought I saw him. He's, uh, here. Jamal, can I dance? Remember your wedding? Did you have, phenomenal, right? Incredible. Thank you. I just needed, I needed to hear that today because I knew if I asked my wife, she would say, no, I'm kidding. I'm being facetious. I'm the worst dancer in the world, but... I'll never forget being at his wedding. And where's Leslie? Leslie, you're, I was dancing with Leslie's like 80-year-old grandma. Right? Literally half the time I was dancing with your grandmother. And I was going and going. And I just didn't care. And I was an absolute fool. No idea how to dance. And some of these people, they really could dance. Not me, but I thought I could dance. That's what the funny part was. Not really, but you know what I mean. Imagine what this scene must have been like to see here's the king. And he's unabashedly. He's, no shit, he doesn't care. He is dancing before his God. Oh, passionate worship. 
And I have a little thing. I, I have to say this to parents. I don't really, in this story, I don't know if you ever read this, I don't really fault Michael. You know why? Because she lived with a father who was half-hearted. She grew up in a house where King Saul lived half-heartedly before God. Why would she expect anything else? So when she sees her husband, the new king, and he's dancing like this before God, she doesn't understand it, and I don't expect her to. You know what, parents, grandparents, you know what bothers me sometimes as a pastor? Why not just lay it all out? I see people that want their kids baptized. I see parents that want their kids dedicated. And they come to church, and, and which it's great. It's a momentous occasion. It's, it's, a, it's a, a huge moment in that child's life. But when that moment is over, maybe it's the grandparents pushing. You have to dedicate the child. You have to baptize. And that's good. Don't get me wrong. That's good. But what happens after that? I see so many parents that after that, spiritual formation, how about worshiping in front of your kids, praying for your kids, praying with your kids, showing them who God is. It doesn't happen. And then we expect by osmosis that our kids, as they get older, you know what? D, Bob, Jen, Melanie, Keith, it's your job. You raise those kids. It's your job. No, it's your job. That's who he was. And he was a, tr- listen, he's a train wreck as a father, a train wreck as a husband. <laughs> what was that? <clears throat> Sounded like an animal back there. <laughs> full, all right, quickly, back on track. Full com- I promise, I'm almost done. Full commitment to God also means that there's real accountability within this community, Really? And, you know, I think we all know the story, too, another famous story from David's life. And I, don't, I didn't put the passage up here. It would be too long. But the story of him committing adultery with Bathsheba and how he takes her husband, Uriah, and he puts him on the front lines, and he's really guilty of murder. And this man is murdered, and he has, the blood is on his hands. And you know what I love during this day? There's a guy, there's a prophet by the name of Nathan, and this isn't a day like we have now in the United States. of America. There weren't checks and balances. Well, King David, I don't know if you can do... The king did whatever the heck the king wanted to do. But there was still somebody in his life, which is, this is antithetical. This is the opposite of what we see with other kings. David had somebody in his life that he trusted and he listened to. And here comes this prophet who walks in after this. And he tells him this little story, a little parable. And at the end, David says, where is this man? I want, let's go get him. And, and, and Nathan, the prophet, says, no, no, David, the man is you. It is you. You know what you did. The blood is on your hands. And I ask us this morning, how many of you in here have Nathans in your life? How many of you really have people that are speaking truth to you about your life? How many? I got Nathaned this week. That's my term for it this week. I laughed all week. I got Nathaned. I sat down, literally I counted this morning, I said, I sat down, all good stuff. But I sat down with five different, there were five different people this week. I could, five different people in my world that totally, <laughs> in a loving way, they Nathaned me. They care more about me and the state of my soul than actually what I really think or cared at that moment. They cared too much about me not to tell me the truth. How many people do you have in your life? 
how living and to connect with other people like that, it was, it's been so living for me because I'm a broken, fragile person just like everybody else. I'm no different than you. But to sit with people and to feel the love, to know and be known, to have somebody not judge you, to look at you and care about you and speak truth to you, oh, it doesn't get any better. That's what full, wholehearted devotion looks like, and it's not easy. Is it easy sometimes for me to take it? No, it is not easy. You may think, you look at me and you think, gosh, it must be so easy. Oh, it's definitely so easy for him. You look at me sometimes and, and you think it's so easy for him, right? You didn't get it? I'm, no? no? Okay, all right, okay. If you know me well, it's not. To hear somebody say certain things, but you know when it's, when it's said in love and you know when the spirit is really there. Gosh, we need that in our lives. So I ask you, who are those Nathans? And, and as we close, here just, here's what I want to close with. Just as we come to the table, I want it to be a time of reflection. Let's reflect on where is your heart this morning? What are you really committed to? What are you really dreaming about? What makes you get all fired up when it's threatened or absent from you? Where is your heart? And if you're somebody that you say, you know what, I am not at that place, and I keep saying that during the message, I don't want you to walk out and feel guilty. If that is you, and you say, I am not, my commitment level is not there. I know one who died on a cross 2,000 years ago who can actually make your heart come alive. I know one who can renovate your heart, re-energize your heart, change you from the inside out, and give you those desires This is what it's about, friends, to be wholehearted, everything within us. And it is not easy. It is not easy because we are up against it. As you walk out, you listen to a message for 40 minutes, you listen to, you know, whatever, the whole meeting, you take the whole meeting and you walk out, you will be bombarded with a totally different message. It is all about self. It is not about sacrifice. Look inside. Just think about yourself and all these things out there that can make you happy. I ask that all of us in here this morning, Lord, I ask that we as your people, that you would put your finger, Lord, you're the great surgeon. I ask that you would put your finger, that you would take out your scalpel. Lord, you would perform open heart surgery this morning, that you would really change and transform these hearts, make them beat again. We don't want to be people that get to the end of our days and say, oh, I lived a half hearted life. We want to be wholehearted. And for anybody in here, Lord, I ask that everybody would come back, that you'd give them a desire to come back. If that's them, and they say, what do I do when I don't desire God? I want to be like that. I want that fire in my stomach, in my heart. Lord, I ask that they would be a people that stay committed to coming, listening, not just on Sundays, but meetings, whatever we have here, small groups, that they would find ways that you would put Nathans in their lives, that we would be a people, Lord, that repent, Lord, that we would be a people that are accountable. We'd be passionate worshipers. Lord, make these things happen as only you can do. Lord, do that right now. Start that at this table. Amen. Ushers. (laughs) 